Good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 11. Now, if you have been uh, here for at St. Rose Community Church for any amount of time, uh, me asking you to turn to the book of Acts might be somewhat surprising to you this morning. It is. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, just slip up your hand. We've got extras in the back, and, and members can walk down the aisle and give you one if you need one to look off of. Like I said, we'll be in Acts chapter 11, which may be surprising to many of you because of the way in which we normally do things at St. Rose Community Church. We, we typically work through whole books of the Bible, uh, one passage at a time, one verse at a time, and we've been working through the Gospel of Mark since Easter of last year. So we've been working through the Gospel of Mark for a year and a half, and we're pausing here to give our attention to just a couple chapters in the book of Acts, but specifically to the church at Antioch in the book of Acts. And we're going to do this for four weeks, and then we're going to jump back into the Gospel of Mark. Now, why in the world are we doing this? People who like patterns are really thrown off right now. Firstly, a couple reasons. Firstly, this month actually marks seven years since we had the joy and privilege of starting the work here at St. Rose Community Church. So I want to, as I've been reflecting on the last seven years, on what God has done, I want us to do that together. I want us to pause just in the normal rhythm of our church and to reflect on what God has done, but I want to do so in a healthy way. I want to do so through the lens of what God has already done in the history of Christianity and what God has done again and again and again. We're, we're not super unique here. We're just a snapshot testimony of what God's been doing for 2,000 years. And we can see what God has been doing, particularly in the church plant in Antioch. So I want to reflect on what God's doing here by thinking through it in the way that Luke thought through what God was doing in Antioch. Now, secondly, another reason we're doing this is in four weeks, uh, I will be taking my first ever sabbatical. Um, so if you're unfamiliar with that sort of language, it's time for a uh, pastor to pause from the every week grind of teaching and preaching and pastoral responsibility to reconnect with the Lord, reconnect with the family, and uh, to plan and pray for the next season of ministry. So after seven years of getting to pastor this church, the elders and the congregations graciously extended an opportunity for me to rest and recharge and pray and prepare for hopefully what will be the next seven years of ministry at St. Rose Community Church. Praise the Lord. I like that. Enthusiasm. So if you're new to St. Rose, so so we were a church plant that began seven years ago. I was 24 years old, and a lot has happened in the last seven years. I got facial hair in the last seven years. Isn't that awesome? Um, we've had two beautiful children. Anne-Marie and I have celebrated 10 years of marriage together in July. By December, I'll hopefully be finishing up my doctorate and be done with school forever. I've had the blessing of being on every mission trip that we've ever done to Southeast Asia and South America. I've had the joy of pastoring through a pandemic, a building project, and a hurricane. 
And it has been an incredible seven years, but I must admit, I'm a little worn, I'm a little tired, I need to refocus on the Lord and on what God will have for our church in the next seven years. So when the hurricane hit last year, I think the elders recognized I was burning the candle on both ends, and they proposed at our prayer and planning retreat that sometime in this year, I take three months uh, to get with the Lord. So from September 11th through December 11th, I will not be preaching on Sunday mornings, but this is a testimony of God's grace that that's possible. The fact that I can step away for three months and this church will not miss a beat. The fact that we have elders in this church that can handle the word of God, faithful members who can handle the word of God. We will have several men over the next, uh, over that time period, period, and they will actually complete the book of Mark during that time. So they'll pick up with the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus praying about the cup of wrath that he's about to receive, and they'll, and they'll take us all the way through the end of Mark. So I just want to say this at the beginning of the sermon. I'm not leaving the church. I'm not scoping out other job opportunities. As people have already been asking me, I'm taking a short season to rest and reconnect. And so one of the reasons I wanted to pause and do this mini-series is so that I might remind myself of what God has done in our midst, and that we might remind ourselves of what God has done, and we might remind ourselves that it was absolutely God who's done it, and it's absolutely God who will continue to do it with or without us. And so the way in which I want us to reflect is by looking at the church of Antioch. Now the church at Antioch was a church plant with very humble beginnings. It started as a result of the persecution happening in Jerusalem. People literally ran for their lives. They fled from their homes and they landed in the city of Antioch, a a large city where there'd be opportunity for hopefully they could find work, hopefully they could rebuild a life together. People ran for their lives, landed in Antioch, and when they landed in Antioch, they began to tell people about Jesus. We see them going from a small band of believers in a big city to, over the course of the book of Acts, becoming a missionary-sending church. In fact, it was in Antioch where we see the first real blending of different ethnicities coming together into one church, a miraculous thing. It's in Antioch where the disciples of Jesus are first given the title Christians. That's kind of a derogatory title because they were like little Christs. All they wanted to talk about was the Christ. It was in Antioch where we have the first recorded example of a church sending financial support to another church, just sacrificially, to help out another church because they cared about the kingdom of God beyond themselves. It was Antioch where we first have the recorded uh, intentional sending of missionaries to an unreached place. It was Antioch who actually sends out the apostle Paul. And so we're going to turn to the record of that in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Let's read, and I'm going to read all the way to verse 26, and we're going to pause and pray that God would guide our time together. Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord 
was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. All right, let's, let's pray together. Lord, um, this is a little out of my normal routine of preaching and God, I pray that you would just show grace and help me to say true things that are very obviously in this text and that you would stir our hearts to worship, that you would stir our hearts to just a spirit of gratefulness here this morning and a spirit of optimism of the future and the things that you do in and through your people to get the best news in the world to the ends of the earth, God, we pray. Use this moment, this morning, this text, this example, use it this week and for the next four weeks to just recenter our eyes on why we exist as a church, why you have us on this planet, and how good that is. So God, I pray that you would speak now by your grace and for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. There is no practical or pragmatic reason that Christianity should have taken off in a place like Antioch. It was not as if the cultural soil was good for the seed of the gospel to spread. Antioch was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world behind only Alexandria and Rome, some estimate of 600,000 inhabitants. It was a diverse city. A big blend of Greeks and Syrians and Phoenicians and Jews and Arabs and Persians and Egyptians and Indians. In A.D. 351, historian wrote from that time period that Antioch was the abode of the gods. Another commentator says that Antioch was a cosmopolitan city full of gods. Pagan religion permeated every aspect of life. I don't think we fully grasp how much pagan religion and the multitude of gods that people worshipped in the first century in cities like this would have been a part of every aspect of their being. Appeasing the pantheon of multiple gods was interwoven into the way they did funerals, the way they did weddings, the way they gave medical care, to buying something in the market. It was day-by-day -day practice of worshipping false gods. 
Nothing about Antioch made it easy ground or good soil for sharing the good news about Jesus. The message of Jesus that landed in Antioch with these persecuted Christians was a message of monotheism, meaning that there's one God worthy of worship and all of your gods are a lie. Not only that, the morality of Christianity was diametrically opposed to the cultic prostitution, loose sexual ethic, drunken parties, and just outright arrogance of the Antiochian culture. In a heavenly Roman society, they lived for pride and honor, social standing, and Christianity worshipped a God who humbled himself to the point of death on a Roman cross and then taught, you should pick up a cross and do the same. Nothing about the message was appealing to the Antioch sentiment. It was an alien theology to the whole thought world of Antioch. But Christians land in Antioch, fleeing persecution from Jerusalem. They start to talk about Jesus, and people listen. People not only listen, but people are transformed. And there's a lot to highlight of what happened in the city of Antioch in this passage, but the, the sentence that I want to jump out, of, out at you and to be the lens through which you understand the rest of what's happening in their church and in our church happens in verse 21. I want you to look at verse 21 so that you might understand our church, past, present, and future, and the Antiochian church, past, and present, and future. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, who believed, turned to the Lord. The author of the book of Acts is very intentional. He wants to make very clear throughout the whole book that the planting of churches the conversion of the lost, the expansion of God's kingdom is something that God is doing. That God who breathed stars, that God who created the land and the sea and all the animals and the birds and the highest mountain peaks and the lowest valleys, that God and all of his power and creativity and ingenuity, everything that God is, God is the one who is also carrying out a plan for his own glory in building, planting, creating people for himself in local churches. He's not just playing an active role, he's playing the primary role, and we get to play the secondary role. This is the truth made plain in the book of Acts, and this is what I want you to write down. And Truth number one, God builds his church by his grace. It's in the it's on the back of the T-shirts at St. Rose Community Church that, that we exist, right, to love the Lord and make disciples and plant churches by His grace. It's the hand of the Lord literally causing people to believe. In fact, when Peter describes the salvation of the Gentile people in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, this is what he says. Then to the Gentiles also... God has granted repentance that leads to life. Notice who gets the credit even when someone repents. God has granted the gift of 
repentance from the very first verse in the book of Acts. This is how Luke introduces the whole book. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. O Theophilus, in the first book, so he's talking about the gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now the implication is, in this second book about the beginnings of the church, I'm going to talk about what Jesus continues to do and teach. The whole book is set up to emphasize God's doing something in the world. Acts chapter 2, the first church gathers together, they're meeting, they're praising the Lord, having favor with all people. Listen to how the wording is in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. When the church gets frightened and wants to keep the gospel to themselves and no longer spread this gospel because of persecution, look what happens in Acts 4.31. They're praying. The place in which they gathered together was shaken. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. In Acts 5, as their persecutors contemplate how to stop this movement, one of them actually speaks a word of wisdom to the group, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. This guy, not knowing what he was saying, speaks of the Christian movement in this way. Verse 38 of Acts 5, he says, In the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men, let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. God has a plan to glorify himself by planting churches, by, by drawing people to himself in communities called churches. And, and when, when word got to Jerusalem that a church had actually started in Antioch, the leaders in Jerusalem said, we got to get eyes on that. We got to check to make sure that's legit. We need to see if they're preaching the same gospel. Could a church really be planted in Antioch? I mean, we're Jerusalem. We're the place of religion. We're the place where God dwells. In Antioch, there's a church. Barnabas, would you go and see if this is legit? So Barnabas goes to see, did this really happen through unnamed preachers? We don't even know the names of the people who planted this church is this legit did this really happen in this place and look at verse 22 acts 11 the report of this came to the ears of the church in jerusalem and they sent barnabas to antioch and then look at verse 23 when he came and saw the grace of god he was glad barnabas recognized that what he was seeing happening in the midst of these people in this city was essentially the grace of God gone visible. God was being unnecessarily kind, showing favor to the undeserving, saving people who couldn't save himself, accomplishing something in a city impossible for man to accomplish, and to think it all started with what seemed to be a bad thing. The Jews in Jerusalem are trying to squash Christianity. They stone Stephen to death for preaching Jesus, warn others not to preach Jesus. They persist to arrest and beat Christians, but in their attempts to stop the Christian message, the people running from them just go to a new city, and the Christian message takes fire. They didn't stop this expansion of the kingdom. They exasperated it <laughs> accidentally, and that's just how it all always works with Satan, just to let you know. So it always works with evil in attempting to accomplish his will. He unintentionally fulfills the will of God in a different way. 
This is what God does. He builds his church even through difficulties, even through things that seem bad in a moment, turn out to be beautiful and good. And this is what we see in the book of Acts. And, and let's just pause here and say, this is what we have experienced in St. Rose Community Church. I have here with me the minutes from the business meeting on August 5th, 2015, where First Baptist Church of St. Rose voted to close their doors. Found this this week. Reading through it. Seven years ago, the last remaining members of Epi St. Rose gathered together to make an extremely difficult decision. The church had dwindled to just a handful of people. They were few. They were weary. Their resources were running out. I have the, it has how much money they had on, in the bank here on this statement, and it was not a lot. They were looking at a timeline of when the lights were going to go out. In the summer of 2014, they asked me to come preach for them. There were eight people here in a worship service in this room. In the summer of 2015, they asked me to come back just to fill in for their pastor who was gone. There were four people in this room for a worship service. And I stood up here, and two of them were on the back row back there. <laughs> and I said, y'all just want to do like a Bible study kind of thing maybe up front? And they said, no, this is where we always sit. And I picked up my podium, and I went back there to them. <laughs> So on August 5th, they, they, they recognized we can't keep going on this way. And what, what had to feel like an awful loss in the closing of the doors on this building actually became the avenue through which God breathed new life into this church building, into this community. That vote to close down the doors and to donate the property to First Baptist Church of Kim Kenner basically set into motion a chain of events. What looked like a death of Christian witness in this community became the avenue of life in this community, and we were given the opportunity to, to recruit a small team who began to pray and plan weekly for God to start a new church in an old building. And I remember very vividly kneeling right here on blood-red carpet from the 70s and crying out to God with a group of friends, do you want us to move our lives here? And the last seven years have been a wild ride. And I think I can say with Luke uh, that the hand of the Lord has been on us. We've seen 50 people profess faith in Jesus through baptism. We've seen the church grow from that small handful of people to what it is in this room in the last seven years the message of the bible has again proclaimed from this spot on the planet i mean we've studied in the entirety the books of jonah habakkuk malachi haggai colossians titus portions of luke isaiah the psalms the lord's prayer the book of acts and may we never forget 98 sermons in the book of romans in our community group studies, we've worked through Ephesians and Philippians and John and Exodus and Hebrews and 1st and 2nd, 3rd John and 1st Peter and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We've added several pastors to our midst to help teach the word. This semester, we have 10 different community groups meeting in different neighborhoods, some of which are neighborhoods that we've been praying for for seven years. And we've seen God move four families into those neighborhoods and Bible studies are meeting there once again. I encourage 
you at the end of this service to think about how you can join in on one of those groups in one of those neighborhoods and be a part of getting the gospel to more people. That this we, Over the last seven years, we've, we've poured out our, our prayers and our resources for beyond us to Southeast Asia and South America. Lord willing, none of that's going to slow down. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to another season next year where things slow down. No. Lord willing, what we will see is God continuing to use our church. Next year, for the first time in our church's history, long-term missionaries will be commissioned out of our church to Southeast Asia, whom we will partner with and visit yearly. In fact, we'll pray for Julio and Becky at the end of this service as they prepare to go for Southeast Asia for a short season to make preparations toward that end. I think in the next two years, we'll be talking about planting churches locally We'll be putting together real timelines and real training plans. And I think if we, we get that opportunity, if the Lord is to continue to grow us here in St. Rose, we're going to need to remember that it's God who does the work. Our mission statement's simple, right? We love the Lord, make disciples, plant churches by his grace for his glory. But that phrase, by his grace for, for his glory, on the sign behind me, it's not a throwaway theological word to tack on at the end of a sentence. It's a paradigm through which we see our lives and ministry. God gives us undeserved favor, and we give him all the credit. There's not a single person in Antioch that deserved to be saved. Not a single unnamed Christian fleeing from persecution in Antioch who deserved to be used by the Lord in that way. But because of his great love for us, he saves us and uses us in the salvation of others. If you're a Christian here this morning, the hand of the Lord has been upon you. We stand as receivers of grace. So they sent Barnabas. And again, what does Barnabas see? Verse 23, when he, saw, when he came, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. How do you see the grace of God? How do you see undeserved favor from the eternal God of the universe? How does God's grace go visible. Well, I believe that's exactly what a church is. And that leads us, and you probably could have guessed this, to truth number two, God builds his church for his glory. What is glory but grace gone visible? It's, it's the being able to see all of who God is and what he's done and the beautiful things he's created and the ways in which he is magnificent and he's given us for life and new life and forgiveness and adoption as sons and daughters and all the things that God does. And what we have in a church is a community of people that God builds by pouring grace into them so that others can see who the true one God is. We get the grace, he gets the glory. But what is it that Barnabas is actually seeing with his eyes? Well, there's at least three ways that I think that he is seeing grace in the Antiochian church. Firstly, grace was on display in their relationship to God. Remember, Barnabas arrives to a city known for their false god worship. He arrives to a city full of enemies of God. But when Barnabas arrives, he finds people that are now befriended by God. 
Verse 21 says that a great many people had turned to the Lord. Church, every time we have a baptism at this, in this room, we are seeing grace on display. A testimony of God turning someone away from their false gods and to the true God. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we look around at fellow brothers and sisters and we're seeing grace on display. People who are also covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you want to be encouraged this morning, grab a church member you don't know and ask them, how did God turn you to himself? And in doing so, what you will see is grace on display. You will be given opportunity to give God glory. I, I want you this morning, as you think about these things, to be glad. That's what I want. That's, that's a takeaway that I want you to have, is to be glad as you reflect on a God who receives glory by giving you undeserved favor. <laughs> so let's just be glad for a minute. I have here uh, an excerpt from a Facebook message that I received. I'm all into excerpts this morning. I got member meetings. I'm doing some history work here. I have here an excerpt from a Facebook message I received from Kelsey Garcia on June 8th of 2016. I remember sitting right over here and her saying she didn't own a Bible and giving her a Bible, encouraging her to read through John. And then a few weeks later, I get this message from Kelsey, who's now leading over our children's ministry stuff on Wednesday nights for this semester. I finished John yesterday. Good, that's good. I was thinking about everything Jesus was doing, and all he wanted was to have people trust him and have faith. I've never fully understood all the sacrifices Jesus made for us to be saved. I knew he died for us, but I didn't know that a lot of people hated him and made fun of him. He, he didn't give up. He took the ultimate sacrifice of dying on the cross and then raising to prove to everybody that he is who he said he is. The verse in chapter 15 that says, greater love is no more than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He was willing to die for us, and all he wants in return is for us to have faith and trust him in his father. And I do. I've never felt so happy and excited about something like this before. This past week, I've just prayed because I was just so happy. I was filled with joy, and I just had to pray to God and thank him. Grace gone visible. I have an excerpt here from an email from Kaylee Guidry, November 23rd, 2016. She had visited our church one time, remember where she was sitting, didn't really get to talk to her much, but she filled out a welcome card, so I reached out, said, hey, glad you visited, and this is what she responded with. She said, I came home and spoke with my partner about how much it moved to me. Now, that partner is now her husband, by the way, doesn't use that language anymore. I came home and spoke with my partner about how much it moved me and gave me a new purpose. He's decided that if this has changed me to see the light so much that he wants to join us next time. I've been open to the message of God for a few months now, and I've been becoming more spiritual through library books and internet articles. I've gained a belief in God these past few months, but was unsure what he needed me to do, my purpose. But after coming to church, I found it. And it was simply to follow him, to keep his praise ever on my lips, to read the Bible, to follow him, to not read it as a fairy tale, but read it because it's real. 
these events really happened. It was as if you were talking to me, only me, the entire time. And then I looked around, and every person in the room felt the same thing, as if you were speaking to only each of them. That's when I realized God was talking to me, straight through you to me. I was so moved, I couldn't stop the tears. I tried and tried, but they just flowed. And a coworker explained to me, that was the Holy Spirit. Grace gone visible. What is the church except a collection of people who all have stories in their lives of the way in which God graciously turned them away from their path to destruction and toward the God of life? And as we see those stories working out in one another's lives, we give God glory, do we not? We praise the Lord. Grace was on display in their relationship with God, but grace was also on display in their relationship to difficulties. It's the grace receiving and the glory giving doesn't just stop with conversion. Those who went to Antioch with the name of Jesus on their lips did not go there on a cushy short-term mission trip to take pictures and post it on Instagram and head back home. They had lost much in Jerusalem. They had no home to return to. They're fleeing persecution. Their whole world has been turned upside down. The life they'd built for themselves was gone. How does a Christian respond with so much loss? How does a Christian respond to a new city with no plan, nowhere to stay, and overwhelming opposition? These Christians, according to verse 20, in the face of difficulty, preached Jesus. There's a particular and peculiar kind of grace made visible here that Barnabas was witnessing upon his arrival. The grace that God gives to Christians to help them persevere even when things are not ideal. It's the kind of grace that flows from the Spirit of God to Christians when nothing is going as planned. A lot of good things were happening in Antioch. In the midst of a lot of bad things. <laughs> There's an eternal perspective that only God makes possible in the heart of a believer who's lost everything. They can see the kingdom of God. And the expansion of it as the primary meaning to their life. Perhaps they see it even more clearly because of the suffering. Because of the loss. A lot of good things have happened in our church over the last seven years. But as is true with any ministry, with any life who wants to follow Jesus, there are always hard things happening simultaneously along with wonderful things. Church life through a pandemic wasn't easy. Through the political and social turmoil of the last two years in our country has not been easy. Our church building project during a pandemic was not easy, only to be slammed by a major hurricane and thrust into a year of disaster relief. That was not easy. Many church mem members have faced loss and difficulty last year with Hurricane Ida that to this day they're still recovering from. Over the last seven years, we've seen people walk away from the faith. Loved ones refuse to follow Jesus. We've seen new believers persecuted from their family members. We've walked through physical, emotional, spiritual, relational loss in the lives of members. We've seen church members die from cancer and COVID. And others walk through the valleys of depression and anxiety and miscarriages and divorces. But through those things, we've also seen the grace of a good God carry us. Making himself known, making his presence felt in our midst. 
The church is grace on display. It's, it's for God's glory, not despite the difficulties, but especially in the difficulties. Especially in the difficulties. One, the, one of the beautiful things about the church is, is the community of faith's ability to endure terrible things because of what they believe about the future. And because of what they believe about the consistency of God. It's the difficult things that showcase the supernatural strength that only God can provide to his children. It was the persecution in Jerusalem that showed the genuineness of the faith of believers who said, I'll kick it to Antioch and share the gospel. It was the evil thing that actually made the good thing more good, more beautiful, more impressive. When the Christians were beaten down for their Faith in Acts 5, listen to their response. They left the presence of the council after having been beaten, rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple from house to house, they didn't cease teaching and preaching. Listen to how Paul articulates this miracle in your heart and in my heart and our hearts together in Romans 5. He says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, do you hear what he does? Since there's something that can't be changed, our standing with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Listen to what he says. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The church's grace gone visible, not because we are protected from all the hardships, but because of the way we are miraculously brought through hardships for the glory of the Lord. I wouldn't take back meeting in tents with you all for four months last fall. I wouldn't go back and change it because there was something uniquely precious in all of us praising the Lord when many of us had lost our homes. One of the things that makes this special, it's not just individuals, but it's how the community does this together, bears things together, rejoices in things together. One of the things that Barnabas would have immediately noticed when he saw the grace of God, one of the reasons he was sent to Antioch in the first place was that the report about the church was that both Jews and Gentiles had come to faith and we're now gathering into one church. And this leads us to our third and final way in which we see God being glorified, grace going visible in the church in Antioch. And this is this. Grace was on display in their relationship to each other. The big sort of shocking thing about this chapter and the whole Antioch Christian movement was that Christians, you, you heard it, notice, some Christians went on just preaching to Jews because that's who they were. But some of them began to preach to Gentiles. And the racial, eth ethnic, cultural divide between these two groups of people cannot be overstated or rightly understood by us. Here in Antioch, there was a barrier between these two ethnic groups. And the gospel broke it. Something brought the people together who would otherwise never be brought together. 
And that something was the Lord Jesus Christ. Barnabas saw the grace of God in supernatural unity between very different people coming into one place and finding harmony with the same Savior, eating from the same cup and the the same bread of the Lord's Supper. And so it is with God's desire and design for every church thereafter. There's something uniquely beautiful in unified diversity. That the the gospel does something that makes us look past differences and join together around the same God. Some of the deepest and dearest relationships I have in this church would have never come into being if it were not for the one Lord Jesus we share. And I pray that one of the ways in which God validates his glorious existence in St. Rose and in your life would be through a robust, diverse web of relationships that occur in the church between young and old and black and white and rich and poor and single and married and those who are new to Christianity and those who've been Christians since they were eight years old. Those who have a history and those who were at vacation Bible school for as long as they could remember. I pray that the diversity of backgrounds in this church would be such that it would cause the outside world to scratch their head at why these people love each other so much. We display the genuine power of a saving God in this community when we break social, cultural norms to unite around the same Jesus. If you've been coming to this church for the last several years, I just want you to think about the relationships you've built that would not have been possible if Jesus had not raised again. Think about the people whom you love who are not like you and are in very different stages of life than you. That is grace gone visible. You're not alone, but rather you're surrounded by a diverse web of relationships who not only love you, but who have promised to bear burdens with you and share joys with you. Again, let me just let Paul articulate this experience, and then we'll conclude with a couple takeaways. Listen to Romans 15. He talks about what the gospel does to a group of people. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, for Christ didn't please himself. But as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And Paul says, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. And then listen to the prayer. This prayer shows up at the end of our church covenant together. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together with one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the command. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is what Barnabas must have seen when he saw the grace of God in a community. He saw Jews and Gentiles welcoming one another like Jesus had welcomed them. Looking past differences, looking past sins, and embracing one another the way the gospel had taught them that God had embraced them. See, one of the things that happens in this room is that the good news of Jesus' love for us is preached from the pulpit, but then it's felt in the embrace of the person sitting next to you. It's known in the forgiveness 
of a church member to another when they've wronged you. See, then the, the gospel doesn't just become something that you hear on Sunday mornings. It becomes something that you experience every week, every day, in people whom God has saved. It's grace gone visible for his glory. And this is why we exist. Mountains exist to point to the majesty of God. Stars and galaxies and crazy-looking animals and the vastness of the ocean, they exist to showcase the majesty and the creativity of a God that lacks no knowledge, lacks no wisdom, lacks no power, lacks no beauty. All of creation praises God. But church, we uniquely praise God. As image bearers who sinned against him, yet he saved anyways by the blood of Jesus, who now come together in this room. When we gather, there's a way that we praise God that mountains can't. There's a way that we praise God that angels can't. There's a way that we bring glory to God that, that galaxies can't, because we have received the grace of God. And now we give grace to one another because of the grace we have received. And what we do, we reflect to the whole world a glorious God worthy of our praise who made a way to be forgiven. In the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about the very purpose of the church. Ephesians chapter 3 says this. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, it says this, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. We may be sitting here looking up at the stars being amazed, but according to Ephesians, the stars are looking down at the church and being amazed that God would do such a thing in sinful people like us. So how do you respond? How do you respond to this? Two takeaways this morning. Number one, pretty simple. Be thankful. Be thankful. I want you to take some time this morning to reflect on the ways in which God has made himself known to you in your life. Reflect on the ways in which grace has gone visible. Re reflect on the way in which God saved you and the way in which God's shown you grace in the Christian communities that you have been a part of. I'm not asking you to, to think back on all the terrible experiences you had, but I want you to think through the ways in which God has given you favor, given you blessing that you did not earn, not just in your salvation, but in your journey until this point. What good has God done in your life that he didn't have to do? Be thankful and repent of the ways you've been discontent, grumbling, and ungrateful. Ask God that you would see like Barnabas saw, saw the grace of God and then comma, and he was glad. That's our response this morning. I just want to want to take a minute, think about the grace of God, and be glad. So be thankful. Takeaway number two, be faithful with steadfast purpose. That's a striking statement that Barnabas begins to exhort this new church with. It's almost as if he anticipates a, a tendency toward distraction, a proclivity toward discouragement. He urges them to be faithful specifically by keeping before them an unchanging purpose. Verse 23, 
He was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. First, to be thankful and praise the Lord for all the grace. And then just take a moment and ask, Lord, what does, the fa- what does faithfulness look like for me? What does faithfulness with steadfast purpose look like for me? I'm not asking you to sit there and ask, God, what kind of cool, awesome, big, wonderful thing are you going to do through me so that I can show everybody how awesome I am? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you to ask the Lord, what does it mean to be faithful in the direction of the purpose that you made me for in this world? Not, what does it mean for me to accomplish a big purpose? But what does it mean for me to be faithful in the purposes of God in my life today, next week, and tomorrow? What does faithfulness look like for us? So be thankful and then be faithful with steadfast purpose. Let's, let's pray that God would help us to reflect on these things. Father, we pray, we come to you thankful, asking you help us to be faithful, help us to see your grace in our lives, and help us to rejoice. We pray that you would build your church by your grace, we pray that you would build this church for your glory, that the grace of God would be visible in our relationships to you, our relationships to difficulties in our life, our relationships to each other, Father, may you be just made known to be magnificent in this community, in Jesus' name, amen.